From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. In Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, what's going on, man? Uh, you look great, man. I, I'm really jealous. We're, we're doing this one live and I can see you and you have gotten a haircut, which uh, those of you who are watching this live can tell perhaps I have not. And I am jealous. I decided of that. to commit finally. You know, it was, it was receding and I just said, it's done. Yeah, it's a good look. I might have to do the same. Thank you very much. Um, you know, it's funny that we're doing a live podcast because it's now 9 p.m. in New York. It's only 6 p.m. on the West Coast, but we've already had two of these sessions tonight. And I just had a great session talking with Mark Farrell, the, uh, who, who we've talked to before on the podcast, the founder of 10 to 1 Rum. So I've had some rum. Nice. But it's like... <laughs> nice. I'm jealous. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. And we're already hearing from one of our guests, who I'm, I'm super excited to welcome to the podcast. So without further ado, instead of all the banter we normally would do, because we have such special guests, I want to welcome Kyle McLaughlin and Dan Wampler of Pursued by Bear. And Dan is also the winemaker at Abeja. Wines, did I say that right, Dan? Yes, you did. You nailed it. Abeja, which is uh, Spanish for bee, honeybee. Awesome. So uh, Kyle and Dan, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on, Adam and Zach. This is great. So just to get started, uh, Kyle, can, can we talk a little bit about, as, as those who listen to the podcast know, it's only out of love, but I do tease Zach a lot about Washington, mostly Seattle. Um, <laughs> That's fine with me. We don't we're, on the, we're on the east side, Adam, so it's all about that. So I would love to know a little bit from both of you about you know, just initially, what makes Washington wine so special? I think a lot of people who are wine drinkers in the United States really think mostly about California when it comes to wine as a sure. premier wine region. But, you know, Zach especially has been just like pushing me for years that the wines from Washington State are amazing. And, and I know, Kyle, for you, when you first, you know, got into wine, you talked a lot about how you were getting into the wines of Napa and you had friends there who had encouraged you to start a winery so, so why Washington State, and, and what is it about Washington State that draws you to the wines? Well, you know, I, I grew up on the east side. I'm from Yakima originally, so uh, eastern Washington runs in my blood. And it was, um, growing up there, it was, you know, it's a pretty grim place. I mean, beautiful, but uh, it was the kind of place that you want to leave to go and seek your fortune, so to speak. And so it was, um, it was as surprising to me to, that I found myself back there really enchanted with what was happening in the wine world. And I learned about it simply by uh, tasting wines and really just my eyes were opened. I said, this is, these are really good wines and no one seems to be talking about them. And I said, this is a legitimate place to make stuff that is world-class. And that started me thinking about how I might be able to get involved. Um, and, uh, you know, through a circuitous route, I, I met up with Dan and, and we've been, uh, making wine together since, uh, he's been involved ever since 05, 06, really, when I first started. Dan, what about you? What, what is, I mean, Dan, are you from Washington State originally? No, I'm from Michigan originally. I moved out to Washington uh, 2000, 2001. Um, I have an undergrad and um, master's degree in wine production from Michigan State, which is an ag school, moved out to Washington, took the job as the research winemaker for St. Michelle Wine Estates back when it was still Stimson Lane, oh, wow. and uh, moved from research through production through large down to small and family owned and operated. Wow. And so what was it about Washington that drew you to the state? What, what, is, what, like, what is it about the wines? If you were to, to synthesize Washington state wines, could you both do it? Like, what would it be? Because, you know, when we think about California, we obviously go to Napa and we say Cal. Or, yeah. you know, when we, we think of Oregon, we immediately go to Willamette and we say Pinot. Like, what so, is, 
for you that we should think about as consumers when it comes to Washington State? And I can see Zach, now that I can see him on the screen being like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we can do anything as well as anyone in the world, different than, but as well as. Maybe Pino, not, not yet, but we're still planting. So for when I moved out, well, almost 20 years ago, it was not a mature industry. It was a maturing industry, but it still had critical mass of quality producers and scale. And it wasn't, it wasn't agritourism. It was a wine industry. And so that was exciting to me. And since I've been a part of the industry, I feel like that the, the fruit quality in the vineyards, the vineyard management and the wine production has continued to raise the bar and what sets us apart in my experience from any other industry that I've witnessed from, from a tangential perspective is the camaraderie. And so we share with everyone and high tide raises all boats. And with that comes uh, a high tide and a high bar of, of wine quality and, and fruit quality. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. As Dan said, we can do anything there and anything. Well, it's not, and I think we take inspiration um, obviously from Bordeaux, we take in from in, inspiration from Napa, but we, but we're not imitating, you know, it's like we're, we aspire, we have our own flavor profile in Washington state. Um, and it's a good one. And, um, I was, as I got involved in it, and again, this is, uh, you know, mid two thousands, I was as surprised as anyone to learn that you really can grow anything there apart, maybe from Pinot, as Dan mentioned, although that's still to come. Um, but it's just, it's an, it's amazing. You can find anything there. And in, and in abundance and with quality. So I, so I want to talk about or ask about one of my favorite varieties here in Washington, and that's Syrah. And, and there's, we have a Syrah here, the baby bear from uh, Pursued by Bear, but I know, Dan, you also make a Syrah at Abeja. And so I'm curious, you know, as someone who's very, uh, uh, a big part of the Washington wine industry in a lot of ways, I'm very connected to it. Syrah is the variety that I point to a lot when trying to kind of explain what's possible here in Washington. But our viewers and listeners probably are sick of hearing me say it. So why don't you guys say it um, and, uh, and and talk a little bit about, about Syrah in particular. Um, and we'll come back to the baby bear that I'm drinking right now. Um, but but just in, in terms of what is it about Syrah in Washington that makes um, for really amazing wine? First of all, I think Syrah is a, a winemaker's wine. And and I'll explain that. I'll, use, I'll pick on Chardonnay for a second. So Chardonnay, we can steer as winemakers in so many different directions. And it's not that we can overcome terroir necessarily, but we can push it in one direction or another with so many different winemaking techniques and barrels and yeast. And we can do the same thing with Syrah. And so it's a very diverse grape and it's flavor profile, but it's also kind of sexy in every single one of those different categories, whether it's, you know, more old world and and, or, or New World and Luscious. I mean, it's just, it's a sexy varietal from bookend to bookend. I was just drinking some and I think I felt very sexy there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Scott, can you, can you go back and tell us, you know, just go back to the beginning of the creation of Pursued by Bear. Tell us a little bit about what the, you know, first of all, the name of the winery. I mean, for, for those that are unaware that it's a, a famous stage direction from Shakespeare and what the real desire was to create a winery. Because look, I mean, Let's be honest, there are a lot of wineries out there that are owned by celebrities, but you're very hands-on. That's very different than a yeah, lot. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there. I've uh, spent a lot of time in, in Dan's guest bedroom downstairs <laughs> uh, on my trip out to Walla Walla. Um, it started really with, with a desire to um, get home more frequently in fact you know my my career keeps me in between los angeles and new york a lot and 
And my dad was still living at the time and he was in Yakima. And I just sort of like, I really need, I need to get back home. And I thought this would be something that we could share together, just embarking on a journey. And I really entered into it with no expectations, just, hey, this could be something fun to do. Okay. Not even really thinking that it takes three years before what you harvest is actually ready to drink minimum. Just kind of wanting to jump in with both feet uh, without much uh, thinking about it. You know, I ma- that was made possible by my f- former wi- winemaker, Eric Dunham at Dunham Cellars, um, who, was, who was my introduction not only into wine um, in Washington, but also to the community as well. Dan spoke about how it's, uh, we really are, a, it really is a community of uh, a lot of like-minded people. Crazy, but all like-minded. And we do support each other and really revel, I think, in each other's differences and what we're all sort of striving for there, which is to create world-class wine. So we share this common passion, this common goal. Pursued by Barry, as you, as you, as you said, is a, is a, a, a sort of a, a, a smaller portion of a longer stage direction that goes exit pursued by a bear, which happens in act three, scene three of the Winter's Tale, Shakespeare's play, The Winter's Tale. And it's his most specific, esoteric, strange stage direction he ever wrote. And, and I just, it always made, it just made me laugh. The idea that the actor gets chased off stage by a bear seemed so appropriate to what I was trying to do. It also, you know, kind of harkened back to my day job, you know, working as an actor. And I, and I grew up going to school in Seattle. I was in the theater de- department there, a program I graduated from the U in 1982 and was going to go seek my fortune as a repertory theater actor. So it really uh, kind of all seemed to make sense to me, uh, was more cohesive. Uh, when I started, and I really, I really just jumping in, I, I met Eric, and and this is something, and uh, the idea of making wine is something that was in my, my my mind for a while, and and so when I finally asked him, I said, you know, would you partner with me on this? And he said, yeah. What do you like to drink? And I said, well, I like to drink Cabernet. He said, well, let's make Cabernet. I said, well, that sounds good to me. So it was really <laughs> just that casual handshake kind of deal, which those of us who knew Eric um, remember him as being completely like that. It was very, very much just your word is your word is your bond and shake hands and let's go do let's go have some fun um and you know dan came into that to, to that family shortly there after i met eric and and uh so we were kind of a we were a band of brothers there for a while yeah i, I don't i came in at the like i don't think we shook hands it was more like shots and hugs at that point so um yeah, yeah, throwing exactly. back models of cabernet and syrah that's how we roll in Washington. Shots <laughs> <laughs> and hugs is what Adam and I do when we finally, when we hang out in person. Right. It's never, but yeah, you do live on the other side of the country. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys have cheap shots you can take. That, that, that's the shots and the hugs that you can guys. Great. There's a lot of those too. <laughs> so good. How, how daunting was it for you? So first of all, like, did you think of, did you buy land? Did you think about that? Like how much, are you are you taking from growers and how much was it a real trial by fire because again i think there's a lot of people that think oh i could get into this like i think that i could start a wine label i could figure it out and how much were you like wow this is i'm in way over my head yeah no i was totally in way over my head you know i I, fortunately I, i i partnered with some really smart people that knew what they were doing and i really i just jumped in with the idea that this could be a fun adventure you know and i liked the people that i was meeting and i enjoyed the community you know when you're from the east side um whether yakima or walla walla Spokane, and there's some similarities there you know you're 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 sort of um when families get together they don't talk about the people from the east side so much you know what i mean we're the black, <laughs> we're the black sheep we're the black sheep um but i had ter- i had terrific guidance and um and, and I was genu- uh, genuinely interested in learning. So 
uh, I didn't just sort of sit back. I, I wanted to know where the grapes were being sourced from. I wanted to learn about um, the, the, the AVAs, the sites. And it was all this process that, that I just found fascinating, surprisingly. And, uh, and it kept me going. And it was also a, just a great excuse to grab my dad, jump in the car, drive to Walla Walla, hang out with, with the Dunhams, you know, and, and taste wine and have a great time. And so that was a big part of it in the, in the beginning. I had considered Napa for about 30 seconds um, as, as a possibility until I started thinking about how much it was going to cost to buy a ton of grapes that would be worthwhile. And I said, that's way outside my range. Now um, it costs even more. Oh, my God. Washington made much more sense. And to be honest, it was the story. My wife reminds me that he said, she said, you're from Washington. That's the story right there. And um, one thing my wife really understands is about how to tell a story. So, um, so it, it, all signs were pointing in that direction. So I was curious, you know, uh, you guys have both talked a little bit about the experience of making the wine, but I know that maybe not in this exact moment, but but also there's a there's a whole component to the industry in Washington that's maturing that has to do with wine tourism. And I know Dan at Abeja, that's a big a big part of what uh, what goes on. So can you guys talk a little bit about what the uh, what the experience is like to visit Walla Walla? And obviously, you know, right now we're in a period of time when when probably people traveling to visit is maybe not happening so much, but but in whatever normal times will be, you know, what is that experience like? Well, I think, um, you know, pre-COVID, Walla Walla is four hours. Well, it's still actually four hours from Portland, four hours from Boise, four hours from Seattle. Um, and so we operate an inn, a luxury um, style farm and country inn on our 38-acre parcel. And we have the ability to accommodate 28 people. Um, and there are, there are weekends where we are booked 100% from people outside of the country. Not now. Obviously, everybody that's coming now is um, driving. And we are still booked uh, you know, fully this, this weekend, last weekend, this coming weekend. Uh, we're in phase two. Um, but Walla Walla is magical. It's magical because <clears throat> as you head from Seattle, for example, you go over the mountains and it just the trees fade away right around Ellensburg on your halfway point. And you wall, you, you roll into Walla Walla and it's just, it's lush and it's filled with vineyards and it's filled with good people and a quaint downtown. Um, and, and again, magical people. Uh, we have some of the best vineyards, some of the best um, accommodations, some of the best wines, but it's our people that make us, um, you know, stand above and, and with the best areas of the world. So talk a little about the relationship that the two of you have. So um, obviously Kyle, you're very involved in the wine, uh, but Dan, you're the winemaker. So how does that work? Because I think for a lot of people who are probably either going to listen to this uh, after the live recording or who are watching right now, there's always this curiosity of how, how does it work when someone is owner proprietor, but they're not the winemaker, but they're very involved in the, in the winemaking process. So Kyle, how often are you at the winery? Are you helping, you know, are you helping crush? Are, what, what are you doing in terms of the blending and the tasting? Dan, how much are you saying to Kyle, I totally agree with you? Or how much are you saying like, that is completely wrong? <laughs> uh, in terms of your winemaking together. So I, I, will, I will say on Kyle's behalf, this is by far, in a way, not a vanity project. Kyle is very involved. He comes to town, less so now, but quite often. And we, we pick vineyard sites together. We pick barrels and we do barrel trials together. We blend every single blend. We blend it together on the bench. And right now we're sending samples his way. And he and I will taste back and forth with samples that were pulled from the same barrels at the same 
same time and we'll go through and and compare notes and kind of we've got our beakers and our, our graduated cylinders and our pipettes and we're doing the blends and we're sharing spreadsheets so kyle's very involved um and and that's the exciting part is he's so inquisitive and he's so how can we how can we make this better and he's not set he knows he knows what he likes and he's got a phenomenal palate and he knows what he doesn't like and we we agree on most things but it's it's it, we, we steer together kyle yeah no that's a you thank you very much dan you said it i i feel like i've got my brother here next to me when we when we do our blending and our tasting we we really get along we really we we see the direction of the brand um headed in the same way i love going up as much as i can get there um and participating in the blending uh visiting the the vineyard sites talking about the barrels what we're going to use each year um how much neutral how much new um uh new sites that are coming up um and dan is you know he's was a member of the washington wine commission i think you still are a member of the washington wine commission you were on the board um he knows everybody there he knows all the growers. he's got great relationships with with so many of them and i you know i bring a little bit of of, of stuff from my side you know i'm very good friends with ann colgan and her winemaker that at the time that i met her was named guy named mark Aubert and Mark, of course, is an extraordinary winemaker. has his own has his own facility now, his own winery, Aubert Wines. And Mark was the one who first pointed me in the direction of the Terenceau barrels, which I use these new, uh, French New Oak barrels, which are just phenomenal and work so well with the with the with the big red fruits that we get from Washington State. They just it just pairs beautifully. Um, and so that that was kind of my contribution in coming into the relationship. You know, when I first started, there were sources that uh, that Dunham was using that I that I used as well. Um, and then I began to sort of branch out from that as I began to explore. And you know, one of the sites that I love is uh, is uh, Hugh Shields's place, De Brule. Um, he's just got a wonderful site there above Prosser in Washington, and um, the, the fruit that comes off there is very special. Um, so I got, you know, you just, you get more and more involved and, yeah. and, and I, I would lean on, you know, I lean on Dan for so much of, um, just, you know, either just to, um, you know, questions like, am I tasting this correctly? You know, is it right? And he, you know, he's got a terrific palate as well. And his wife, Amy's got an extraordinary palate. We both rely on her. Um, <laughs> anyway, and she, uh, she's pretty great. Um, so, um, it, it really is a partnership, you know what I mean? And we are, we are in this, uh, in this together and, um, I, you know, I'm not that kind of, it has to be done my way kind of person. I really am. I'm real flexible and open to, to these things. And I know kind of what direction we want to go in. I feel I get the same kind of response from Dan. We're both headed in the same way. So we really work well together. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Adam, I think we should talk a little bit about these wines. Yeah. I mean, well, yes, fine, Zach, we can. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, the first one I want to talk about is obviously um, Blushing Bear. I said, you know, it was, it was one of our top rosés uh, two years ago. I think it's a phenomenal wine, but I'd love, Kyle, if you talk to us a little bit about it. Um, yep. and, and how long have you made a rosé for? Uh, not long. 2015 was the first vintage, um, and it really was um, more like, um, gee, everyone's making a rosé. We should make a rosé. Hey, Dan, <laughs> let's make a rosé. Dan's like, okay. Um, <laughs> and I said, but let's do something. Let's, let's copy the French. There's the, the rosé that comes out of the Bandol region is one is some of my favorite. I said so. So what are they doing? You know, and you know, I mean, I knew the varietals and stuff. We said we got we got Grenache, we got Brevet, we got you know, there's a few others that we can experiment with. And I said, can we even get those? This is how clueless I was. Can we even get those in in Washington? And mind said, you, yeah, they make a few mind you, he asked like in August. Hey, can we get this? <laughs> uh, let me see what I can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You put put on your magic, which is why we came up with seventy five cases for that first vintage. <laughs> uh, there just wasn't a lot of food available, but 
what was great was when we did it, it was like, okay, this is phenomenal because obviously you have the, the when you, you blend those, the, the Grenache and the Mouvedre at the, at the time we had Cinso as well. You put those varietals together in the right combination and, and you get along, you get that same kind of acid, that bright quality that comes with Washington. That's just part and parcel of Washington state wine and in all across the board. And you have yourself a really fan, I think it's a really fantastic rosé. It's got great, it's just got great bite and mineral and, 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 um, and the flavors and the aromas I think are special on it as well. So oh. 2015 was our first. And then, so we made it every year since then. We've upped our production higher than 75 cases, but we're still under 500, I think. So really? not that how much. How much are you producing total? This year, I think we're right around 2,000 cases, I think, of yep. everything. Yep. Can you find the wine in all 50 states or is not it? All, not all 50. I mean, we can ship to what, you know, I've got the website, of course, and we, and we sell online, but I have distribution, I think, I mean, roughly 18 states and then the uk and um japan oh japan yeah it's, it's pursued by bearwine.com right pursue everyone exactly pursue bearwine.com yep i mean I, I i love this wine i think it's in it, the, the fruit is really present and it's it just insanely refreshing but there's just like there's a a nice quality of like lemon and strawberry and it's it, everything you want rosé yeah i agree that's a little grapefruit in there guava i think um and, Second. you know, talk to Dan about the, the process, you know, because I think we're, we're both going for something that is, as you said, light and refreshing, but it has a little, it has a mouthfeel, it has a nice finish. It's great chilled, if you like your rosé that way. It's nice also when it comes not quite to room temperature, but if it gets up kind of cellar temp or a little bit more, even the aromatics come out and you can enjoy it on that level as well. Yeah, we, we don't, we don't, um, Sonia, everything is farmed and, and brought in as rosé and we whole cluster press and we leave it in the press long and we go to our fermentation vessels and we ferment everything in like separate lots and then blend at the end so it's i think it's a true rosé wine in the sense that it's not an afterthought it, it's literally start to finish that's what we're we're our outcome goal is so dan yeah. just just for our, our listeners and viewers who don't understand what sonier is can you explain that sonier is he's a singer from never mind sorry dan you <laughs> Uh, oh, that's Sorry. Jeez, Kyle. Okay. Sonier is French to bleed. So typically what, if you have a, a tank full of red fruit, you open a valve and you bleed off some of the free run. And 99% of all red skin grapes produce white juice. And it's that skin contact time that, that extracts the colors, the pigments, and the tannins. And so intentionally, we, we bring in the fruit for rosé and we keep the, the fruit in contact in the press as opposed to just bleeding off from a rosé or from a Cabernet Franc or, or a Mavet or whatever the, the varietal is. And, and, and that's much more, I think, challenging circumstance to get the color and the, and the aromas. But when you nail it, I mean, it's, it's so much more pure and less tannic and just sexy and elegant. Well, and I think, don't you have the sort of benefit of the grapes have been grown to make rosé? They're not the wine isn't a byproduct of making red wine. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So I want to ask uh, Dan real quick about the Chardonnay that I'm drinking because I've always been a big fan of the Abeja um, Chardonnay. But, you know, I'm really curious about one thing that I want to point out to our, uh, to our viewers and listeners. So on the label here, which you guys can see uh, if you don't have it in front of you, it just says Washington State. Why is that? It's a great question. Great question. First, I want to mention that um, as, as a as winemaker to Beja, I'm not the only one. My, my wife and, is my co-winemaker and we make all winemaking decisions together and we are on family vacation. So she's, you know, taken the kids and she's grabbed them out of the other room. So there's not dogs barking and kids interrupting um, because we've been on those multiple zoom calls. Um, anyway, 
<laughs> so um, it's, it's it's normal now. That's what life is. It, it is. It is. Um, and so I think that. Well, okay. To, to answer your question, Washington State for two reasons. One, we have three different styles of Chardonnay, and this is Washingtonian in style. And you can help me answer you know, how, how we make that Washingtonian style, but it's the acidity, it's the ripeness, it's the, it's the character. And second of all, um, it, a significant portion of the fruit comes from Celilo Vineyard, which is outside of the Columbia Valley AVA and in its own Gorge AVA. And, be, and because of that percentage difference, it's, it's also Washington State as opposed to the Gorge or Walla Walla or Columbia Valley. Yeah, you guys can tune in later for my Celilo Vineyard uh, seminar, which will be attended by only me and Dan. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be there too. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but, but Dan, can you talk a little bit about the winemaking approach here, then? Because I think that um, you, know, you said Washingtonian, and to me, I think I think you're right. You nailed the sort of the, the key points here of of a, a expression of ripe fruit, but still a lot of acid. But but what is it in the winemaking process, or or the the general sort of thought process that allows you to to find this balance of generosity of fruit while still pro- preserving acidity so fruit source first and foremost and fermentation style so is it cool are we whole cluster pressing what yeast are we choosing uh are are we new oak are we stainless are we a balance um all those decisions play into the steering and and like i like i led with chardonnay can be manipulated as a winemaker uh in so many different styles in so many different directions and so we're not trying to push it respectfully in a burgundian way we're not trying to push it respectfully in a uh 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 Chablis way. We're trying to keep it um, not tone deaf from where the fruit comes from, which is a blend of several different vineyards. Celilo, our estate vineyard in Walla Walla, and Connerly, which is north um, based in Columbia Valley Central, like north of Pasco. And it it has the blend of acidity, has the blend of fruit and ripeness, and it has the the blend of of texture. Amy and I are very uh, all about texture in the wine, and we we use um, 100% French, French oak in this wine, not 100% 100% new. There's a, there's a significant percentage of experienced oak and we're not trying to create Chateau two by four. We're trying to get oak and, and toast levels to frame the fruit and give it lift and celebrate what that vineyard, those vineyards have to offer. Well, Zach, you have the other, you, you opened baby bear. I did not. I did. Uh, Adam, we- Adam's saving that for a more important night than this, apparently. <laughs> um, uh, I'll send you some more. <laughs> thank you but yeah so so um do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that wine as well yeah well, well i'd love to i'd love to just hear from before i give my thoughts because i'm going to give my thoughts on this wine but let's hear from, from kyle and dan like what what's what's the what's the approach here because i think that that again you were talking about before with syrah that syrah in washington can go a lot of different directions so so what direction is this trying to go what do you what do you see as being sort of the the guiding principle behind this wine well, this, the, the, the Syrah was born in 2008, was the same year as my son was born. So that's why we called it Baby Bear. I had pursued by bear already, so I was stuck with Baby Bear, and off we went. Um, you know, it, it, uh, you, if you can't make a good Syrah in Washington, you probably should just get out of the business. I mean, there's just, it's just the grape that works. Um, and um, my, I was attracted to the Dunham uh, brand initially because of Eric's Syrah his single vineyard Syrah from Lewis. And uh, so when we got into, when I got into the world and we were making Cabernet, it it stood stood the reason that I was going to make a Syrah as well, which we did. Um, But I wanted to distinguish it, to distinguish it a little bit from what Eric was doing. So 
in order to make the difference, we, we brought in, um, I was using the Terrenso barrels, same, same vineyard sources as Eric. We were in Lewis Vineyard and Finney. Um, and Lewis is sort of rattlesnake adjacent, still Columbia AVA. And Finney is over in um, Horse Heaven, which is, a, which is a fantastic AVA, kind of closer to the Columbia River. Um, I think there are still wild Mustangs up on that plateau, they say. So uh, wow. pretty, cool, pretty cool spot. Um, but we, we decided to do, use a large format barrel to age this. So we got a 600 liter puncheon uh, Terenso barrel. And they're just beautiful. They're gigantic. They hold 50 cases of wine. The idea being, of course, that you've got more uh, liquid, um, more more liquid in the vessel and less uh, uh, contact with the with the staves. Um, and the surface area to volume ratio, the surface that, area to volume ratio, a little bit more generous. That's the chemist right there talking, and that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, but we decided to go with, uh, and I started really to experiment with the, the aging. You know, we, we started off with sort of a traditional 22 months, 24 months, the first few vintages, 26 months. I started pushing to 28 months, 30 months, 32 months. I think I held back before we got to 34 months. I'm not, but this is almost three years in barrel. And oh I, I would taste it and I would just be, this is just phenomenal. And as Dan says, you know, the barrel gives you gives you its oak and then it stops and then it's basically just holding the wine and it's just softening and the tannins are refining and i just thought this is so cool i could do this because i didn't need to move it to market as quick as some some wineries didn't you know this is not the way i'm making my living thank god this is my, my living is paying for this experience um <laughs> but it allowed me to be a little more ex experimental with it and and we created this syrah and the i tell you that the blending hasn't changed much you know it's it's a it's these two vineyards the ratio varies sometimes depending on how much comes in, 60-40, uh, 50-50. Um, and we haven't really done much. We do a little bit of um, surlis, um, one of the barrels. We will we'll sometimes just kind of let that uh, add to the mouthfeel of the, of the wine. But it's, it's kind of uh, whatever we said in motion in the very beginning is, is the way we kept it from the, from the, from the get-go. So I uh, know Viognier inside. This is just 100% pure Syrah. Yeah, we, we've tried to blend different fruit sources every year, almost, and we just keep coming back to like, no, this works. The two components on their own are great, and we've had other components on their own that are better, but there's been no better blend between the two, as, as Kyle said, 60-40, Surly's aging. You know, when we when we first started doing the Surly's, the cellar crew, and even Kyle, you know, it's like, wow, that was rough, and I was like, hold on, and we keep stirring the barrels, and then a couple months later, people are like, uh, this, is, this is pretty rough. Please be patient. A couple months later, it's like the chocolate fudge brownie of red wines evolves. It's like, egad, we've got it. Let's do this. And uh, so between the punch-ins, between the surlies, and between those two 50-50 blends, we've created, I think, a unique a new, unique blend that just, it's magical. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier, Dan, texture. And I think that's a really important thing for understanding these kinds of wines because the, the flavor in Syrahs is important for sure. But, but I think when you get a really well-made Syrah, uh, which this certainly is, you get that really kind of beautiful, it's sort of like, it's like both smooth, but also like variegated. I don't know how to describe it, but there's, there's enough there. It kind of grabs onto you. It's like, like Velcro-y a little bit, but, but also has a nice, like, it's not abrasive. I don't know. This is Adam. You're just, you're making me now very much regret that I should have opened the bottle. Uh, <laughs> not cool. Not yeah. 
the, Adam, it's 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 not it's not that late. It's only like nine thirty in New York. Like you can still get through. Well, all the time. I mean, now I'm actually glad that I'm saving it though. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys are making it sound like it's absolutely incredible. But I'm also missing out a lot, as I'm sure people who are are listening either at home on the podcast or while we're doing this live are as well. So you should buy some at pursuedbybeerwine.com. Um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of the Cabernet, which is which is the last wine that we have from Abeja. Um, I, I am curious. So, this is gonna. This might be crazy, Dan. So, Dan, mea culpa. I'm sorry if I am saying something to you that you're like, come on, man. Which is, I've had a lot of winemakers say to me, "Oh, Washington's gonna be the next Napa. It's the future because of climate change." And we're actually getting questions that I'm watching come in in the Q and A that are asking about that as well. Like, is Washington wine the next Napa because of climate change? And will there be better Cabernet made? in Washington than in Napa. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of what ca- what happens to Cabernet in Napa. Both of yours, because Presumed by Bear has a Cabernet as well. Um, you know, w- what you think Cabernet can do in Washington? Um, and if these people who are saying these things are correct, that climate change really will move up how we think about Washington State in terms of it being maybe the country's premier Cabernet growing site. Because as we all know, Cabernet being the most popular grape in America is not changing anytime soon, right? So, so what, what does that mean? Wait a minute. I, you're saying Washington isn't already the most premier Cabernet? <laughs> I thought exactly, Dan. So, I mean, fine, fine. Yeah, I was going to go with my, um, my standard Zoom joke where I just like mouth the words and people are like, you're on mute, you're on mute. And I was like, no, that's, that's, this is not the time for it. So <laughs> I appreciate you teeing that up for me. So I'm no climate, climatologist, uh, but I do believe that the global warming trend is continuing to show itself, and we are intentionally planning at higher and higher elevations, and we are watching crop loads throughout the, the season each year. And I think, you know, in, in some of the hottest years, like 2005, 6, 7, 8, and some of the coolest years that we've experienced in 2010 and 11, crop load plays a huge thing, and, and it's, you know, you get the, the ripeness of the, the grapes across the finish line, but you have to get them there at the right time. And so we, we work with our growers very intimately to make sure that we we're, we're pacing with what's going on in the growing, the growing season, as well as it being connected to the site specificity. I think that we are making as good as Cabernet as anyone in the world already, and I think we've been doing so for a decade, different than, but as well as, and, um, but yeah, I, I think that as more and more attention is drawn to Washington state, more and more people fall in love with it. And then we're able to do, um, you know, over deliver quality at, at the price points because our, our land is less, our, our farming costs are less, our labor's co- you know, our waters is, is all these things are, you know, being pressured. So it's going to have to start going up too, but we're nowhere near in the economic, um, stresses of, of Napa. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some amazing Cabernets that are world-class coming out of Washington and it's not a new thing. This, I mean, this wine's amazing. Just, well, we have a good team. It's very delicious. The cab is, the cab is great. The cab is great. You know, Washington is hot. Um, and I think time will tell as to whether the global warming, because it's impacting different parts of the world in different ways, obviously, you know, and, 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 and how much of an impact it's going to have remains to be seen. As Dan, Dan mentioned, we higher elevations, a little bit cooler. Um, but we've, it's already, it's, it's been hot there. You know, it's, it's, yeah. we fight that anyway. Um, you know, and canopy management becomes really, really important. 
Um, and um, but Washington is a different, you know, it's a different uh, different fall off. You know, when we get to the fall and and temperatures begin to change, they don't drop sort of gradually, nicely, kind of like they do in California. You know, they kind of go along and then they sort of drop off the edge of a cliff. So as Dan said, you when you got to know when to bring your fruit in and when to harvest and when to, and when to care for that. And that's really a it's a critical time. Um, and fortunately, Dan is. Um, He's super good at anticipating that and, and knowing when, when the food needs to come off and, and when it needs to get in to be sheltered. I think we have a couple of advantages as well. One, we don't have the fog rolling in. We've, right. got, we've got cool nights and we don't have the humidity stresses. I mean, yes, we have mildew pressure like any growing region, but we don't have it to the extreme in other regions. And then we have that diurnal shift that everybody talks about when they nerd out about wine so it's it can be 100 degrees at night during you know an august growing day and it can cool down to 58 degrees like you know if you're in arizona and so that diurnal shift allows the ripeness and and intensity during the day and then it cools down and lets the vines rest at night amazing i think the other thing that that dan mentioned a little bit but is important here is that there's a lot of opportunity in washington to add additional plantings to go higher up on hillsides uh, you know napa is pretty much planted out at this point and so a lot of those, those sort of warmer vineyard sites, Valley Floor and things like that are kind of, they're just sort of stuck. And, and that for now, and, and in the past, it certainly worked to their benefit. But I think if, if you continue to see, you know, more heat and, and less cooling uh, influence from fog and, and even just some airflow, that becomes more of a problem because there's just nowhere else to plant grapes. And, and Washington has, you know, a lot of uh, land under vine, but, but only a tiny fraction of what's potential uh, what the potential is here in the state. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's a sort of a good resource, although obviously planting new vineyards is expensive and it takes a while for them to be usable, but it's at least a, a longer term uh, possibility. Amazing. Zach, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure that there are, there are less acres planted in the state of Washington than in Napa. So correct oh, me man. if I'm wrong. I, I don't remember the stats lately. Zach, you're the Psalm. Come on. <laughs> I'm well, not a walking encyclopedia. I, I would bet that it's... I, I think, think you are. <laughs> you are a walking encyclopedia, so just come on. I, I would bet that it's it's relatively comparable. I think Washington might actually have a little bit more land under vine than all of Napa at this point, but but that's that's just a that's a that's a quasi-educated guess. <laughs> all, of you, all of you out there on your computers who aren't in the middle of doing a live podcast can uh, <laughs> Google that and, and tell me how wrong I am. Well... <laughs> Anybody from the Washington Wine Commission could answer that like this. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I the wines are amazing, um, but I am seeing a lot of questions come in from viewers, and I have some myself that maybe are kind of related to wine, but Kyle, let's be honest, they're also related to some of the characters you've played. Uh, so I, I've got to ask you one first uh, that the, the team asked me to ask you. So are you a Cosmo drinker? <laughs> You know, any port in a storm, I say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another one from one of the uh, from one of the viewers. So, uh, if Agent Cooper was a wine, what wine would he be? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I uh, let me see. You know, uh, this is, uh, and I'll explain. Right, I, he'd be a Bordeaux. Um, you know, he'd be something classic, but the, the reason I say Bordeaux is because, um, when I met David Lynch in 1983 and I screen tested for Dune, 
which was the first thing that David and I worked on together. When I finished my screen test, I came back to my hotel room, no idea how I'd done. And there was a bottle of Lynch Baj sitting on my table in my little hotel room. That's pretty it, was a gift, it was a gift from David saying, kind of his way of saying, thank you. And, and I, you know, you're my guy. He wasn't the, making all the decision about the cast, but he really, he thought it was just a really nice gesture. So um, since then, he and I, have, we've traded Lynch Baj all the time and it's kind of our thing. And so I, I, I know Cooper is a big part of David, obviously. And so I think um, I, I probably would go with the Bordeaux. I probably would go even go with Lynch Baj, you know, a great vintage and, and um, like a 90, you know, or 96 or something. And um, we'll call him that. Okay, cool. Another one that's pretty good. If a, if a great wine script came to you that highlighted Washington wines, kind of like Sideways or Bottle Shock, would you consider acting in it or helping to produce it. And can you think of some sort of movie that would be that movie? Sounds like a writer or a producer. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm, I consider everything. I look at everything. Um, I, I love to read, I love stories. And it really comes down to quality, you know, is it a good story? So. That's a fair uh, Washington Wine is a good story, so I would encourage him to, to take the role or direct that. <laughs> that's what we want to hear. So uh, in terms of Pursued by Bear, you don't make any white wines, correct? Uh, we do not. No, rosé is as close as we get. Are there uh, plans to make white? No, no plans, although um, Dan makes, and Dan and Amy make a Simeon um, that I had, I think, the first time it wasn't that long it was like six months or a year ago when i was there viognier was it are you sure it wasn't a semillon viognier we don't make a semillon pretty sure uh, different, <laughs> different dan then. respectfully respectfully we don't we don't make well maybe we will now that was yeah, a different dan. Dan, so that's how much i had to drink um <laughs> anyway um it was extraordinary but I, you know, I know no real, no real plans at the moment. I mean, it's, it's tough. White wine is, it's a, you know, it's a tough, although I, if I were to make one, I mean, Dan and particularly Amy, his wife is extraordinary white winemaker and she, uh, we would come up with something kind of fantastic. I mean, the, the idea of the label is so exciting, you know, with the, with the white wine, what we can do with that. But, you know, it's, uh, I've got my hands full. I have five wines now. So I've got not only the Pursued by Bear and the Baby Bear Syrah, I've got, and the Rosé, I've got, uh, the Bear Cub, which is a new kind of a, a lower price point wine, which is um, which actually goes back to the original blend of the Pursued by Bear. So it has a little bit of Syrah. It's Cab, Cab Merlot and Syrah in it. Um, so after 15 years, we go back to the original blend because the Pursued by Bear is moving more in towards a traditional Bordeaux style. And then I have a little single vineyard one that I do it out of the Walla Walla AVA that's just been kind of labeled and bottled called Twin Bear. And super small production, 93 cases 94 cases something like that yeah just kind of as a fun little thing to do um and it's beautiful cabernet single vineyard really elegant so, so this, got my hands full this one's not the most fair question but it's to both of you uh it gets asked often though if you were to pick a favorite wine you make a, another one from a viewer which yeah. one wow what do you think dan favorite wine that that we make whatever's in my glass right now so i've got four <laughs> <laughs> you know it's favorite wine is like picking your favorite child we all have mm. one you just don't tell your spouse <laughs> just kidding uh, both of our children are amazing 
Um, I, I'm, I'm in love. Well, we don't bottle anything that we don't already have a great deal of pride and love for. So I, I love all these wines. Otherwise, they wouldn't make it to the bottle. Um, <clears throat> I think that that um, depends on the season. If I'm in the middle of a uh, winter night in a hot tub, I'm going to reach for a Cabernet. If uh, if I'm in the porch, you know, in the summer drinking Chardonnay, I'm a happy camper. Right now, the rosé's singing, um, but. It's such a really challenging question to answer. It depends on the, what I'm eating and what I'm doing. Mm. Kyle? I love, um, I'm really in love with the, the Bear Cub right now. This is the, we just, we just did it in 2016. It has a, it has a, a difficult past. You know, 2016 in Washington was a, was a big year. Um, lots of, a uh, very abundant year. And it was, um, it was a year that I decided to sort of up production a little bit. And I went a little crazy with my, um, with my wish list. <laughs> and we sourced from a lot of places and suddenly instead of producing potentially 500 cases of pursued by bear i had up to 1500 cases of pursued by bear and i said that's not going to work so we got to do something with this extra wine um you know so when we blended we made the pursued by bear and we, we picked really the best lots and then we picked kind of lots that were almost as good and we turned them into bear cub but it gave me a chance, as I said before, to kind of go back to the original blend, which is to put a little bit of Syrah, it's like six or 7% of Syrah in the Bear Cub blend. And that was really fun. It was really nice to be able to go back and make the wine like we made Pursued by Bear. And the Syrah gives it an immediacy, like it's immediately friendly, it's available, it's, it's, it's got just, just beautiful aromatics. And I said, oh, this is really fun. So, we, so that right now for me, it's, I guess because it's a little bit of a surprise, a little unexpected, um, I'm, and I'm really digging the Bear Cub right now. So final question, can both of you think of the first wine you had in your lives that kind of what made you go, ah, this is interesting. I wanna I want to know more about this. Whether it's, I wanna know about this in order to make wine, or I just wanna know more about this because this was fun to drink. Whatever that was for you, can, do you have that? Uh, I'll go first. Um, so I started brewing beer when I was in high school um, and fell in love with fermentation science. And so that's what, so beer led me to wine because I didn't want to brew beer because you can do beer in two weeks. And I didn't want to do distillation, um, because I don't have, you know, 15 years of, of patience. Uh, and wine <laughs> Man, you're was, making it sound so scientific. No, no. Distillation well, and you're like, you were in high school, man. You were making yeah. something you could get trashed. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I was really popular in college, uh, being, yes. being the, the fermentation guy for sure. So my, my dad, who's not a traditional wine drinker, um, he's a, you know, Miller Lite after mowing the lawn kind of guy. Um, he was out at a business dinner and everybody was around the table discussing what they had brought or what was on the menu or their most expensive wine they'd ever consumed. And uh, my dad listened to everybody's story. And they're like, how about you, Dave? What was, what's the most expensive wine you've ever had? He's like, well, as a matter of fact, I have a case of wine in my basement that was 40 grand. And everybody was like, what? 40 grand? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's a Frontenac. It's a, you know, a, a varietal from northern Minnesota. And uh, I figured my son's college tuition was about 40 grand. And this was his senior project. So he gave me a case of it. And it was like, <laughs> all right, you win. <laughs> I love that story. Mine, mine, isn't, mine isn't quite the same. Um, although, admitted, Dan, you, you were making alcohol so that you could get girls. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's why I went into the acting thing. It's just, it's all about that. Uh, so in high school, I had um, a girlfriend, um, Heidi. And so we, 
I would go over to her house for dinner with her family and as part of the deal. So we're 16, 17 years old, but we would, we would sit at the table like proper dinner. The whole family was there and she, we each got to drink a glass of wine with dinner, like one glass of white wine with dinner. Made me feel real. I didn't even know what it was. Made me feel super grown up. It was a nice wine. And I was like, wow, this wine thing is very cool. And that sort of started me off on the little, that started me just started thinking in the, in the wine world. And so that's, that's, uh, that's my story. Awesome. Well, Dan, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. This has been amazing. Kyle, if you do want to send more baby bear or other wines, just, okay. you know, feel free. I, I, I'll email you my address. And, you're right. <laughs> and you know, it, this is, this has been amazing. The wines are great. We've, uh, we've posted, but again, um, we'll, we'll share with everyone how you can buy both these wines, both, uh, in the chat here, as well as, uh, in the credits of the show. We really appreciate both Great. of you. Yeah, thank yeah, you guys. Thank you very much. Loved it. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.